Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, and uh, we're going to dive right into it. we got a lot of ground to cover uh, in this segment, and very pleased to be joined, as always, from New York. Our good friend, pollster Scott Rasmussen, joins us today. Scott, how's New York? New York is great. It's a beautiful day, and we're allowed to get together with up to 10 people, so progress. <laughs> All right. That is, that's big progress in uh, in New York, to be sure. Uh, so many things uh, are evolving and moving. Uh, we talked in our first segment about uh, the, just the really inconsistent behavior by both Joe Biden. Some of his statements uh, on radio and in interviews over the weekend. Uh, President Trump, of course, tweeting away, but also having some very presidential moments uh, on Memorial Day. Uh, and so neither one of them seemed to be uh, getting the right kind of traction. You just wrote a piece uh, that... Uh, that I just love because it sort of says to the politicians, you're not in charge and neither are your consultants. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, and I apologize to all the consultants who will be offended by this. But, we, we like uh, to offend you know, them. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you know, the, the reality is activists always talk about, you know, campaigns being won or lost by the mechanics who raised the most money or did something else. And, you know, in a very, very close election, that, that can make a difference. I mean, in 2016, if Hillary Clinton had gone to Pennsylvania, Michigan, and uh, Wisconsin a little bit, she might have been uh, elected president. But that's the exception. Um, in reality, the politicians aren't in control. They're controlled by events. And it is the key issue of the day that sets the stage. Uh, and, you know, in the column uh, at Deseret.com, I, I wrote uh, this week about how in 2004, President Bush gained a few points in his job approval ratings and his voter pro- uh, performance. Uh, over the summer, President Obama did the same thing. And the reason wasn't because of their brilliant rhetoric or, or uh, their policies per se. It was because public perceptions improved about the key issue of the day. In Bush's first term, it was the war on terror. In Obama's, it was the economy. It was the real world that changed the outcome of those elections. Uh, I I think that's so important. And and let's break down those just a a little bit. Uh, In 2004, uh, obviously, that was the first election after 9-11. Right. And uh, at this point in that year, President Bush had a job approval rating just a point or so higher than President Trump does right now. He was in the high 40s, uh, but not able to crack the 50 percent mark. And with no likely third party candidate, that was a dangerous place for an incumbent to be. But over the course of that summer and heading up to Election Day, his position, his his per, the perception of his performance by voters inched up to top 50 percent. Uh, on Election Day in 2004, I had him at uh, 51 percent job approval, 51 percent said we were winning the war on terror again, the key issue of that election. And he got 51 percent of the vote. Wow. I mean, that's just it was that key issue that drove everything. Yeah. And then uh, most people don't realize uh, that uh, President Obama was kind of in the same territory before his reelection. 
Absolutely. You know, President Obama came in and had a, about a five or six month honeymoon, but then his job approval ratings hovered around 47 percent for most of his first term. Um, and he was roughly at that same point uh, eight years ago, getting ready for his reelection bid. And uh, the big issue then, that was the first election after the Great Recession, the financial industry meltdown. So the economy was the big issue. And, and week by week, month by month, we saw modest uh, improvement in the way people felt about their own personal finances. They felt a little more optimistic. And as they felt better about the key issue of the day, well, guess what? Just like in 2004, they felt better about the man living in the White House. And uh, President Obama, by Election Day, got his job approval rating just over 50 percent and won just over 50 percent of the vote to be reelected. Uh, so fascinating. If you're just joining us, we've got pollster Scott Rasmussen on the line, uh, really breaking down how the events of the day shaped the campaign. Uh, so those are those are two compelling lessons from 2004 and 2012. Again, one Republican, one Democrat, uh, issue driven, uh, that really kind of made the difference in the end. Uh, so what does that tell us uh, as we roll into the back half of 2020 and a really unprecedented time in terms of uh, the virus and how campaigning is being done? But what are you looking for? Uh, what are the lessons from history for 2020? Well, let me first tell you one thing that is not a lesson from this. Uh, a lot of Donald Trump supporters will say, ah, so the president always gets better between now and Election Day. So Trump will be doing a few. <laughs> That's not what it tells us. Uh, in both those earlier cases, if public opinion about the key issue of the day had grown more pessimistic, uh, the president would not have been reelected. So, you know, in Election 2020, it's not going to be about what's happened in the past three and a half years. Um you know, it's it's a toss-up election right now as we sit and look at the poll. Could go either way. It's going to be decided by the key issue of the day going forward. And for this year, that's the question of how successfully American society reopens, you know, in the, in the wake of this uh, incredible pandemic. And uh, that's the issue that will decide it. And I think one of the really important things to grasp is the range of outcomes is much bigger than in earlier years. You know, by the time 2004 came around, President Bush had been dealing with the response to 9-11 for most of his first term. President Obama was elected during the financial crisis and spent his entire first term addressing it. The policies were in place. Opinions were established. President Trump is seeking reelection with a defining issue that none of us could have imagined on January 1st of this year. I mean, it just uh, if we had predicted some of what's happened in terms of lockdowns and 30 or 40 million people being thrown out of work, we'd have been laughed out of the room. So right now we have this unprecedented situation. Uh, if come the fall, people are feeling better, the economy is reopening, they're, they're starting to feel like we're making progress, uh, the president will probably be reelected. And uh, that's especially true if people believe the reopening is successful and Democratic uh, leaders are still looking like they want to uh, resist and oppose the reopening of society. On the other hand, if this push to reopen unleashes a, you know, a vicious new wave of the p pandemic, well, 
then President Trump will not be reelected. And if he is seen as sort of recklessly pursuing these, uh, you know, let's open at all cost policies while the American people are retreating to the idea of lockdowns again, um, he could lose by, you know, Herbert Hoover type of margin. So the, the range of outcomes, uh, much wider this year than in other years. Uh, that's so, so fascinating. So many, uh, so many things to break down there. Uh, and again, I think the most important thing is that the political consultants will not rule the day uh, in 2020. We, 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 we tend to have debates at our house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but it also says something really important to the American people. I think as, as we've been tracking in a number of polls, uh, yours included, uh, that show the vast majority of Americans are, are far more interested in getting their uh, pandemic update than they are a political update uh, at this stage. It is going to be, know, knowing that in most election cycles, we, we reelect about 90, 94 percent yeah. of incumbents. Uh, what does that mean for we the people rolling into the fall of 2020? Well, you know, when you talk about reelecting incumbents at the congressional level, uh, that has that has a lot to do with the fact that uh, incumbents get to design the districts they run in. Uh, as uh, some people put it, the, the politicians choose their voters, not the other way around. Um, and it's been a long, long time since we've had really dramatic turnover in Congress. But in, but in terms of the presidential level, uh, to some degree at the Senate and certainly um, in governor's races, these, you know, it is the events in the world that people are responding to uh, that determine the fate of these elections. And when you get back to the House, uh, there will be a huge difference if 95 percent of House members get reelected or if 80 percent get reelected uh, because the shockwaves that would be sent through the system, the shockwaves of discontent. Um, ultimately, you know, look, I think it's, it's really important to focus on the fact that it is the events that control the politicians, not the other way around. And we need to take keep that in mind, not only while we think about upcoming elections, but as we analyze the results of them. Uh, fantastic. Great stuff, as always. Scott Rasmussen, our favorite independent pollster. Great piece on Deseret.com today. Uh, again, really focusing on the fact that politicians aren't in control, uh, nor are their consultants. It's the events that are going to drive this thing. So great stuff, Scott. Thanks so by, much for joining by, us. By the way, boy, it's, the newspapers aren't in control either. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Just this radio show. Just this radio show is in charge, right? Okay. <laughs> hey, Have thanks. A great day. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one. <laughs> Scott Rasmussen joining us. Uh, always appreciate his insight. And yes, he is correct in that the media does not control this either. Uh, very important. Uh, and the thing that I want to make sure everyone remembers is that it is we the people that will control this thing in the end if if we engage in the process, if we hold people to account, if we demand transparency. Uh, and that's a whole string of ifs, but it's an if that is incumbent upon we the people. Uh, and that's the thing that I'm watching for is, are we going to do that this year? Are we going to take control as a people and say, okay, enough with the parties, enough with the politics, enough with the backroom deals, uh, enough with the, the national media and everything in between. Uh, are we really going to engage and say, we want different or we want better? or we want more of this and less of that, uh, whatever the case might be, uh, that's up to us. It's we the people. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. Bottom of the hour news coming up. When we come back, Herb Scribner is going to join us. We're going to go wonk to pop. 
Don't miss it on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.